Hello, and welcome to the Landis Cooperative Experience podcast featuring the bull bear banter. We all know that markets often behave in a way that can't easily be explained. The bull bear banter is our best effort to digest the noise of the marketplace. So thank you for joining us. Sit back, relax, and let's talk about the markets. Hello, this is Tom Guinan. I want to welcome you to the March 27th episode of the Bull Bear Banter. Cheyenne and I are recording with a slightly different format today, so I'll recap the corn and soybean futures. For corn, May futures finished the day down two and three quarters at 346. That is up two and a quarter for the week. December corn lost three today, closing at 364 and a quarter, and gaining a penny from last Friday's close. May soybeans gained one and a half today, ending at 881 and a half, and that's up 19 for the week. November beans did lose two and a quarter today to finish the week at 876 and three quarters, but that is up 16 cents since last Friday's close. As it was last week, COVID-19 remains front and center this week in most news stories. But for our purposes, I thought it might be worthwhile to take a look back at some charts and see not only how far we've fallen in a relatively short period of time, but also how some of these commodities have bounced back this week. I've gone back to the most recent highs and lows for this. Let's start with the energy sector. On January 8th, West Texas Intermediate, the benchmark for U.S. crude oil, traded at $64.39 per barrel before falling to $20.52 by March 18th. That's a drop of about 68%, and given where it ended the week, it's still down about 67%. Another benchmark that other parts of the world use for crude oil is Brent crude. It fell about 65% in that same time frame and is finishing the week near the low it set last week. Gasoline futures, as quoted in Chicago, are known as RBOB. It also had a recent high on January 8th at $1.99 per gallon. It hit a low this past Monday at 37.6 cents. That's down 81%. It has rebounded some this week, now trading around 58 cents or down about 71%. Finally, ethanol futures had a recent high on December 26th at $1.48 and fell about 42% to 86 cents, with that low also set this Monday. It's bounced a little higher since then and is going to finish the week around 92 cents or down 37% from that day after Christmas high. However, to focus only on ethanol futures doesn't tell the whole story, as gasoline futures have been the biggest losers in this freefall, starting at about 60 cents above ethanol futures on January 8th and currently trading about 35 cents below them. On the grain side, I'll spare you the high and low values. Corn and soybean futures all had a recent high on January 2nd. May corn dropped 17% by March 18th and have rebounded a bit since then, currently off about 13% from that high. December futures dropped about 12% in the same time frame and are currently down about 10%. May soybeans dropped about 16%, hitting a low on March 16th, and now sit at about 9.5% below that January 2nd high. November soybeans lost 15% and are now about 11% lower. Keep in mind that none of these include any basis changes that we've seen in the cash markets. So with that, let's move on to the bull bear factors and hear from Cheyenne. On the bull side for corn, U.S. corn sales last week were at 71.4 million bushels at the very top end of expected strong sales and were the highest of the 2019-2020 marketing year so far. Strong sales were anticipated given the previous USDA daily announcements of sales being made to China, which were reflected in Thursday's sales data. Other countries of note included sales to Japan, Mexico, and South Korea. Total commitments are gaining on last year, with total corn sales over the last three weeks of 165 million bushels, compared to 84 million during the same period a year ago. However, sales are still 28% below the 2018-2019 marketing year. The corn market rallied Tuesday after the U.S. Trade Representative offered compliments to China following the recent purchase of U.S. grains. This was taken as a sign that China's Phase 1 commitment will be honored. And finally, U.S. ethanol stocks last week declined, 
as would be expected given the drop in production to 1.014 billion gallons from 1.033 billion the week prior and slipped below year-ago stocks of 1.027 billion gallons for the first time in seven weeks. On the corn bear factors, ethanol production fell below 300 million gallons last week to 295 million. The weird thing is that it was still about 3% over the same week last year. Next week's report, reflecting this week's production, should be significantly lower based on what we're hearing. Corn basis continues to be under pressure, both old crop and new crop. Many in the industry are coming to grips with what this reduced demand will mean for ending stocks without a major increase in export demand. Speaking of which, export sales still lag last year by 28%. To hit the current USDA projections of 1.725 billion bushels, we'll need to load about 20 million bushels per week for the rest of the year. We'll see if there are any adjustments in the April 9th WASDE. On the bull side for soybeans, U.S. soybean sales last week came in at 33.2 million bushels, which were above market expectations and were also a 13-week high and were notably better than last year's same-week sales of just 9.1 million bushels. This week's activity included sales to China, along with new sales reported as unknown. While year-ago sales this week were just 6.7 million bushels, next week's sales will be going up against monster sales last year of nearly 75 million bushels. However, earlier today, we heard of a sale of soybeans to Mexico, and that is to occur during the balance of this crop year. This equates to about 6 million bushels. As far as soybean bear factors, export shipments continue to lag the pace last year for the same week. At 21 million bushels, they were up from the previous week, but the previous year was over 31 million. They still remain below the 26 million we need to see every week to hit the USDA's projection of 1.825 billion bushels. Perhaps some of these recent sales that Cheyenne mentioned will start to get us a little closer. Brazilian soybean harvest is estimated at 68% complete. That's about the same as last year, but above the average for this time of year at 65%. The real concern for the soybean market is the current oversupply situation. With South America having a very good year, combined with ample stocks in the U.S., traders will be putting a lot of thought into planting intentions data next week. Even with a recent surge in demand for soybean meal, the upside appears limited. On our what to watch for in upcoming events, next Tuesday, March 31st, is that USDA's prospective plantings report, as well as the quarterly stocks report. Since there will not be an update on supply and demand data, the April 9th WASI report will take on more importance than it usually does in this case for a report in April. At the end of today's bull bear banter, we have a couple of bonus segments. The first is an interview with Ron Jiang head of the grain department for Landis, he is going to be discussing in a little more detail some of the items we've been keeping an eye on and how we're positioning ourselves for the next few months. Following that is an interview with Matt Karstens, the Landis CEO. Matt will be discussing the many ways that we are preparing to continue to serve our customers during these uncertain times. He will also discuss some of the ways that Landis has been working behind the scenes with various governmental agencies as well as industry organizations to ensure that farmers have the ability to continue to accomplish all that they need to during the spring and beyond. So why does this all matter? The past couple of weeks have been challenging for every part of the grain industry, and we all recognize it has been the hardest on producers. Uncertainty is never a good thing when you're running a business, and let's face it, farming is a business. Our encouragement would be to try to stay involved, continue to make prudent adjustments to your plan. We've seen some people taking advantage of the run-up lately in soybeans and making some sales. We think it's a good idea to reward the relatively strong soybean basis and take a few chips off the table. As always, contact your local grain marketing advisor for assistance with any marketing decisions, or call them if you just want to bounce an idea off of someone. 
Well, in conclusion, we appreciate you joining us for the Bull Bear Banter. If you'd like to contact us, you can send a tweet to at Landis Co-op or just drop an email to podcast at landiscooperative.com. Our tagline is bears make money, bulls make money, and pigs just go to market. Stay tuned for those bonus segments that Cheyenne mentioned after this wraps up. Thanks for listening, and we'll both be back with you next week. All right, well, joining me now is Ron DeYoung, Chief Commodity Marketing Officer for Landis Cooperative. Welcome back to the podcast, Ron. Thanks, Tom. I'd say it's certainly been an interesting year, but I really think this month of March is one that we won't soon forget. So what are some of the items that you and your team are working on currently? You're correct, Tom, in saying this is a very interesting time for the grain business. And uh, we've lived through 2008, uh, but this is going to be one of the more memorable events, we believe, going forward. What's going on right now is that the COVID virus has significantly reduced gasoline demand. And just to pile on, Russia and Saudi Arabia have been focused on continuing to increase supplies. And the net result has been intense pressure on gasoline futures as well as diesel futures. The ethanol industry is feeling a lot of pressure from this because they play an important part of the blending process. And demand for gasoline is expected to be down 30 to 50%. As a net result, we're seeing ethanol supplies back up. So ethanol plants have been discussing longer-term shutdowns, and in some cases, reducing their grind from 40 to 50%, and that's backed up corn into the system. In addition, we see rail values being under pressure because the market is trying to adjust to a larger supply of corn availability. USDA was expecting 5.4 billion bushels of ethanol demand in 2020, and now numbers look like it could be around 5.1 billion. That's a significant reduction in overall demand at a time that the South American crop looks to be bountiful as well. So there's a lot of uncertainty going on in the market. And as a result, we're seeing basis values back off. And that combined with a lower futures market means our flat price to the farmer has been reduced significantly. So you mentioned that COVID-19 has impacted the demand for gasoline and thereby the demand for ethanol. You mentioned Saudi Arabia and Russia and the price war there, market share war going on there. So from our perspective as Landis Cooperative, what would you want to kind of communicate to our grain customers or what would you want them to know? Well, the good news for the Landis franchise is the fact that we do have excellent rail access. And the majority of our corn goes out via four class one railroads, which would be the Union Pacific, the Burlington Northern Santa Fe, the Canadian National, and the Norfolk Southern. And our ability to receive grain, store it, and then push it out by rail will mean that Landis will be able to stand in there and have a bid every day for our farmer's grain. With regard to that, we're hearing a lot across the country about grain quality. Is there any benefit to shipping Iowa grain or Iowa corn this year? At the end of last week, China came in and made a a significant purchase of U.S. corn, about 750,000 tons, which is about 40 million bushels. And What's good for the Landis footprint and actually the Iowa farmer is the fact that they're buying U.S. number two, 14.5 moisture. 
while a lot of the country has been struggling with BCFM, broken corn and foreign material, as well as test weight, the Iowa crop was to a large degree quite good and we are able to load number two 14.5 trains to go for export. With regard to soybean meal demand, that's been increasing lately. You know, kind of what specifically are you seeing and how does that benefit the Landis member? A silver lining coming out of the COVID crisis for Landis is we have seen an increase in soybean meal demand and our Ralston facility where we manufacture Soy Plus, a ruminant bypass product, we have seen an increase in demand and we've also seen an increase in crush margins which benefits Landis as a whole. We have been running at full capacity and we have seen an increase in values for soybeans. Anything else you'd like to add, Ron? We just want to reassure our farmers that we're all in this together and we're facing some challenging times. Hopefully we can get into the field here in the coming weeks and put our minds on something other than the grain markets and all the challenges that COVID's providing us. But at the end of the day, Landis is going to be around. We're going to stand in there. We're going to be there to service our farmer member and buy his grain when he's ready to deliver and sell it. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us, Ron. Thank you, Tom. All right. Well, joining me now is Matt Carson, CEO of Landis Cooperative. Matt, it's been kind of an interesting month of March. Certainly all been impacted by the ever-widening issues associated with COVID-19. Yeah, well, first, Tom, thanks for having me a part of, uh, of this great podcast you all do. I think this is uh, wonderful for our farmer members and customers. Uh, you know, this is an interesting time. There's, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, the, the unfortunate part for all of us in ag is we've got a big spring season coming up. But as, as I've said before, and I'll continue to say, that the beauty of agriculture is our resiliency and the, the desire that we have to, to accept no excuses and always uh, deliver on the responsibilities we have of, of feeding this great nation and, and the globe as well. So, you know, one thing we continue to talk about with our farmer members and, and customers, and I think we need to as, as all of agriculture, is spring season will go forward. We'll have some uniqueness to it, and uh, you know how we get through it will be a little different than uh, last year. But I think we say that every year in some way, shape, or form. This just being maybe a way different than the past. But uh, I think that's the big thing for us to promote is is spring's coming, and we're gonna we're gonna be here as as Landis Cooperative for our members and customers, and and have a successful spring season, no excuses. So, with regard to just some things that are going on more, I guess, industry wide. I know Landis has worked with various governmental entities as well as some industry associations. Can you just give us a feel for some of the things that are happening behind the scenes that maybe folks aren't nearly as much aware of as you are? As a cooperative owned by our farmer members and customers, Tom, it's important that that we are promoting what's going on in agriculture with our, our industry associations, whether it's here in Iowa or even on a national scale. So we continue to work with various other uh, partners and, and collaborators here to, to really promote what is coming out with, uh, with different packages, stimulus packages here as we, we've seen here most recently from our federal government and making sure we understand, you know, in, in the states we operate in, most recently in Minnesota, when it goes to a state shelter, how we make sure our essential operation continues to move forward, working with government, state and federal to help make that happen and the like. So we'll continue to, to represent our farmer members in that way 
Uh, again, we've got a lot ahead of us as we look at, at spring and, and just general business even outside of spring. So it is our responsibility to work collaboratively with all those industry associations and making sure our farmers' voices are being heard and, uh, and that we're uh, helping build the right plans that, uh, that come from, from all governments and other parts of our industries as well. Yeah, it certainly feels like every day there's a lot more news and a lot more information and, and a lot more speculation on a lot of different things. But I think, you know, one of the things I've noticed is that the industry is working closely with the, specifically the state of Iowa, just, you know, on some weight restrictions and some hours restrictions, that kind of stuff, kind of lifting or, or amending some of those. So anything you can share um, with anything else that might be coming down the pike that you're aware of or something you've been working on to get to where we're at today? First off, I think it's important that we applaud the, the efforts of Secretary Nang and, and our Governor Kim Reynolds on the work they've done there to, to help make sure ag is represented, particularly here in the state, and things like the uh, exemptions that you cited, Tom, are important. On the federal level, we've, we're really collaborating well with folks like Land O'Lakes and, and different associations across the board, the Farm Bureau, to make sure that we're, we're collaborating in a manner that, that, again, Iowa's farmers are being heard and working on, on what that looks like. So one of those, in addition to what you mentioned, Tom, is, is making sure that we are in the essential category, which wasn't very hard to do, by the way. Uh, food's kind of an important part. But then looking at, as they come up with stimulus packages and that, that the economics of our farmers are being understood and that those packages and, and programs that are being put together fairly represent all of agriculture and food. And, and for us, starting with our farmers, and, and you saw a little bit of that, our listeners did, of this podcast as well on kind of this first tranche that has come out. And we expect others to, uh, to follow that. We don't believe this is the, the only stimulus package that'll be coming out. There'll be you know, different iterations of this and updates to it. And we'll continue to work with the industry associations to make sure that the, our farmers and our members are being heard very loud and clear of the challenges, but also the opportunities that exist to include them and, and have ag at a, at a strong seat at, at the table in those further discussions. So a lot more work ahead, you know, and I don't, I'd hate to speculate of what could eventually come out because as you know, it's, it's government and a lot of things change and a lot of dynamics play into our politics, but uh, we will continue to work again with industry associations to ensure land is cooperative farmer members and customers have a seat at that table and are well represented. That's what they count on from their cooperative and that's what we should continue to deliver every day. Anything else you wanna add just to the members? I know there's one of our two big seasons coming up here. We're trying to get into planting and we're all wishing that it was a little warmer out and it was a little further into the into the calendar. So maybe we just go and get in the field and, and get busy, but uh, anything you wanna add there? Well, there's no doubt that would help a lot if we could just get into the field. I think the farmers would like that. All of our employees would like it. But what I would say, Tom, is, you know, as, as being uh, new to this role, that I, I hope our farmers, members, customers all understand that we wake up as Landis Cooperative, every employee every day with the farmer members and customers in the center of everything that we think about. And one of the big changes that, that you'll see us make is the empowerment of our employees to ensure that every employee when face-to-face -face or over a phone call or video call, whatever it may be with our farmer members, that they have the power to make the decisions to help the farmer succeed and balance the farmer's needs with what we can do as, as Landis Cooperative. And uh, I, I just want our farmers to know, no matter what comes our way, whether it's more COVID-19 or, or other challenges, that 
our employees will be empowered. We're putting our farmer members and customers in the center or the nucleus of everything that we do. And, uh, and that we're gonna lean into the future of agriculture moving forward and, and ensure that this cooperative is guiding and actively participating in, in what that future holds for all of us. Cause it, it is a changing time, even though today we're talking about COVID-19, I think there's so many more things coming down the pipe that are exciting. Um, but we'll have our fair share of challenges like this is today. And the secret of our success is putting the farmer members and customers in the center of what we do, having empowered employees. And then last, making sure we're always looking around the corner and leaning into what the future holds for our farmers. And I think it's an exciting time for agriculture. And Landis is definitely going to be right in the driver's seat of that, representing our farmer members and customers every day. All right, Matt. Well, I appreciate you joining us and look forward to maybe talking with you again in the future. Look forward to it as well, Tom. Thanks. Thanks.